Hello and welcome back to another Backflip Happy Hour. I'm Ryan Fring, co-creative director here at Backflip uh, and Lord of the Podcast, self-titled, never going to give it up, never going to let you go. This week is episode 73 with Father Tate Schroeder. And what is this one? What do Rome, the Inquisition, and COVID have in common? Why our friend Father Tate Schroeder. And we actually have Carolyn back in on this episode, if I'm not mistaken. So she's in the Six Timers Club, I think. So we hang out with Father Tate, talk about all the fun things, uh, what all that means. I actually just learned that the department that he is in used to be branded differently, used to be branded as the Inquisition. So come learn with us about church history, uh, what Father Tate does, and just come hang out uh, with us as we as we drink and talk about all the things. If you don't already, please do like, subscribe, follow. You know the drill. I appreciate you. I, I'm I'm thankful that you're just here. Thanks for jumping in uh, and and consuming our content and hanging with us, even though it's virtually through your phone, through your computer, whatever device you're listening to us on. We are on Apple. Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon. We're on all the things, which is pretty cool. So uh, if you are looking for us, you should be able to find us pretty easily. Um, we're also on our website. So I don't know where you are. I don't, I don't know why I'm going so in depth into trying to figure out wh- how you're listening to this. <laughs> but let us know if you have any feedback, uh, want us to interview certain people. Uh, we will listen to that and we'll pivot and you know, we want to do stuff that's entertaining to you as well. So please do reach out if you have thoughts. All right. Without further ado, this is episode 73 with Father Tate Schroeder. Hello and welcome back to another Backflip Happy Hour. I'm Ryan Fring, co-creative director, co-founder here at Backflip and Lord of the Podcast. I've decided when I was doing a podcast intro that since I'm co-everything in this company, I want to be my own person uh, in the podcast. So I decided I'm Lord of the Podcast, which is kind of like Lord of the Dance. Speaking of Lord of the Dance, we got we got the Lord of the Dance himself, John Shoemaker over here. What's up, John? Hey, it's it's me. I'm uh, I'm the director of the co-directors, uh, Lord of the Dance. And we're going on strike. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if you've seen those uh, one of the unions in Hollywood is on strike. Uh, I, I, I can't read their union logo, so I don't know which one it is. It's like local 600 or something. I don't know. Hopefully it all works out for them, but that's not why we're here. We're here to drink a little bit and hang out with interesting people. And we definitely have some interesting people today, but first we must share what we're drinking. What are you drinking, John? Okay. I am, uh, and it's lucky that I came in to backflip to do the stream today. I'm drinking the Seed Lip uh, Pretend Gin. <laughs> uh uh-huh. the, the NA Gin. The NA, yeah. Um, I've, uh, yeah, just, I was cutting back for a week, giving myself a good detox. Um, I love that. And uh, tomorrow's my birthday, so I'm like, all right, I'm just, I'll just stick it out through. I'll, I'll go all the way to, you know, birthday celebration tomorrow, and then I'll be, uh, I'll be good to go. But yeah, but I'm still happy to have. I love the. I, I think 
we probably so you, were, you were detoxing and then tomorrow you're going to start toxing again. Yeah, just toxing. <laughs> just full on tox. No, yeah, I mean, you just need to reset every now and then. When Absolutely. You, when you get to the, I mean, this is a whole other discussion. We, I'm sure we can. When you get to our age. <laughs> that we could bring into our discussion with people more qualified for this. But, you know, when you're just like getting that feeling of like, oh, it's been a tough day. I got to. The, I need I need this to unwind or whatever. Um, then you're like not even enjoying it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's not for the enjoyment of the flavor and whatever. It's just so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Carolyn's trying to j- join. Yeah, she's ta- she's talking in the chat. Down uh, no, anyway, but she's like, I, she's I, like I, what I, makes us more qualified? He's, he's talking about, about counselors. Yeah, moral <laughs> from a moral <laughs> level. Um, yeah, but I like having something that is like unique to drink. So I was talking about this, like, uh, what's it called? Jake's, Jake's strong ginger. Yeah. I have that on my list. You, you told me about that several weeks ago. Um, it's really good and it has like a little bite to it. It's really nice Mm -hmm. with like seltzer water or whatever you want to mix with it. Mm -hmm. And it has that same satisfaction of like, ah, kind of refreshing or a drink with like a little bit of a bite, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's not alcohol. If you don't, you don't feel like it that, that day or that evening. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm totally down with that as well. And you should check, check out athletic brewing. I think yes. they're at Woodman's maybe. I um, thought, so. Oh no. Yeah. You mentioned those. Yeah. That's who I heard oh, it from. Their, their IPAs are, it tastes like beer. They're confusing. Yeah. It's, it's like, so good. What yeah. is this? Yeah. Also, when I know there's no alcohol in there, I'm like, give me five. I just, you know, yeah. I want to drink it like candy. Um, I today am full, full on toxing. So I've got some uh, uh, gin and some, some healthy tonic, but it's got the, got the quinine. So it gets the job done. And then, of course, I've got all the other things. I've got a little uh, coffee, uh, sparkling. At this point, I just make the sparkling in the soda stream and then I just drink the liter of soda stream or however big this is. I have a problem. Um, all right. That's enough of us. We've lost everyone who was watching earlier because people came to see at least this person and maybe this person as well. So welcome, Father Tate and Carolyn. Thank you. Hello again. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Yeah. Carolyn last week was like, I think this would be a good week that I come on again. And I was like, I 100% agree. And John showed up. So it was great. All right. I'm so, Father, so many things. You are. Co-host. You, you usually just send me texts like, this is going wrong. You should do this better. And, I, you know, it helps I us. I never say it like that. I always <laughs> say, hey, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's super positive and helpful. You're like the only one who offers suggestions like that. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we got Father Tate here. Before we hear your story, uh, we heard Carolyn last week and several other times. What are you drinking, Father? What did you bring today? Uh, I, I'm also toxing here uh, with, the, <laughs> uh, with the alcoholic version. This is, uh, this is my beverage uh, tonight. This is... Uh, Bira Nursia, which is brewed by Benedictine monks in Norcia, Italy. This is the extra, and uh, it's a beautiful uh, label as well. Mm. This is the um, 
the the rose window that was in the uh, facade of their church, which unfortunately was destroyed by an earthquake. Uh, the whole city of Norcia, where uh, St. Benedict and St. Scholastica were born, uh, was, suffered a very serious earthquake, and they're still kind of dealing with that. But luckily, the monks uh, were all safe, and now they're building a new monastery, but they still have their brewery going. And so I'm enjoying a uh, Bira Nursia Extra this evening. That's awesome. I love that. And I feel like that's kind of part and parcel. Um, you have refined tastes. I was, I was, I almost said, you know, it's extra. I, I'm not trying to say you're extra. You have refined tastes. So I appreciate that about you. No, I appreciate your refined uh, sensibilities. So yeah, makes this sense. Is- and, and you said tonight, so, cause it is seven o'clock there, right? That's right. So this this happy hour, I, I feel okay having a beer because it's it's well past five o'clock. So um. this is the stress that I had because I was like my one of my strongest memories of, of Father uh, Tate is uh, doing the video we did for the one ACA, um, and you when were I was with us. Asking. Yeah, yeah, with uh, the family the butlers. Right What's oh, that? that's right. The yeah. Butler family. And, yeah. and you were like teaching us all about wine there. And, so, and I was just like, man, he just like knows so much, like so much more sophisticated than <laughs> where I'm coming from. So I, I aspire to that. But uh, if I, if I ever see myself having one too many, uh, you know, bargain uh, Bush brand, uh, drinks outside of deer season or specifically camping. bush brand wines. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to, it's, it's time to it reset. Winking we need to go back toward refining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what this is. Hopefully this can help reset your, your sensibilities yeah. a little yeah. bit hanging out with father Tate. And of course we've got Carolyn here. Carolyn, what are you drinking today? Well, keeping it on brand, keeping it on theme. So last week, had the blood orange today, got the cranberry. So I do like the cranberry better. Hannah, you got to be repping. Identified that she thought I would like this better. The blood orange is great. Love it. Cranberry, a little bit better. Which one's the tart one? This one, the cranberry. Okay. Mm-hmm. I In think that one, we identified tastes like we think it's like almost tastes like a sour. Almost a sour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, because I'm not huge on sours, so I, it is enjoyable, but it was my, my less favorite of the two. Yeah. I, I would be in Ryan's camp on, on that. Staying not a big sour, sour fan? Beers. No. Yeah. He, he, he dislikes many things, and I try to convince him to like them. I also like many things. <laughs> but you also like yeah. the things, things that I like, and I just want you to enjoy them as well. Also, like are sours are sours big in Rome or Europe? In Belgium. Belgium. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is one reason why I like them. The, yeah, the Roman beer scene, I think, is is kind of um, growing. Obviously, they they have some mass produced beers here in Italy, uh, Peroni and um, um, Bira Moretti. Uh, so those are kind of the big uh, ones, but even they're doing some more specialized things, and there, there are more kind of um, microbreweries and things popping up. So they're the Bush Lights of Italy, basically. <laughs> the they have, they have a beer mentioned. called uh, 
the Bira Moretti is Bafodoro, which means the golden mustache. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> and then I mean, you do the Trappist. So there's Bira Nursia, which is not mm-hmm. properly Trappist, but it's brewed by monks. And then Trefontane is in Rome, like it's just south of the city. So you do have that one as well. Right. They, and they are Trappists, although I believe uh, that some of the Belgian brew masters came down to help the, the Norcia monks mm. with their, um, yeah, with, with their production. But. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Belgium, like, uh, what, what's that one that you, you brought back, Carolyn? Uh, West Blader. I should know this. West Blader and yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're in good company when we're talking about beer and booze and, you know, the Catholic Church. <laughs> talking about that forever. Yeah. Um, so let's let's jump let's jump right in. You are in Rome. I mentioned earlier, seven o'clock there. You feel less bad. Uh, to be clear, I don't feel bad about drinking yeah. now <laughs> at eleven. We've we've done this seventy times or something. So it's uh, it's just kind of what we do. Um, but yeah, t- tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, who are you? What do you do? Great. Well, one one thing before I delve into that, I uh, I appreciate uh, you calling yourself the Lord of the podcast, Ryan. Um, so <laughs> what what I could do is I could refer to you as Monsignore here for the rest of the podcast, because that literally <laughs> means my Lord. So uh, if, uh, if I, I can do that. Um, I feel like this that we might get into to muddy waters, too, because as the title implies we're talking about the inquisition and uh, i believe you know okay so your official title is official of the congregation for the doctrine of the faith your title that i'm giving you today is high inquisitor oh uh, I, I like that <laughs> I so i don't know that i can speak heresies i like it <laughs> I, I don't know that i want you guys calling me lord <laughs> <laughs> i feel like there's a coup in the making here if someone sees this title under father kate's name there's gonna cool. be like He's going to get called into someone's office. because. Of oh, that. my gosh. I would love that 100%. <laughs> then they'd send me back to Madison, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So. Cheers. We'd take you back. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I'm originally from uh, Sauk City area, Roxbury. St. Norbert's is my home parish. I uh, grew up there um, in the Sauk City area and went through... Uh, eighth grade in the, the Sauk City, Sauk Prairie schools, and uh, but then went to Holy Name Seminary for my high school. So I'm what they call a lifer. Uh, not every priest is a lifer, but us lifers have been to high school seminary and continued on. Hmm. Um, so I did f- finish there, graduated in 94, which was the second to last year that Holy Name was open. Uh, and then I went on to college seminary at um, Winona, so Immaculate Heart of Mary Seminary on St. Mary's University campus, and was there for, um, I did finish my college there, but was actually in the seminary for three years. I took a leave of absence for one year and just kind of wanted to continue my discernment, but outside the seminary setting, and that was a very good year in um, God's grace and providence, uh, but still felt that call. So after uh, that year of uh, being away from the seminary, I came back uh, into the seminary formation and came to Rome for the first time in 1998. Uh, And then I studied at the Pontifical North American College. And um, so um, 
was there through 2003 and um, went, uh, did a STB, which is kind of the bachelor's level theology, general theology. I did that at the Angelicum, um, which is run by the Dominican fathers. And then um, finished my licentiate, which is was in sacramental theology at Sant Anselmo, which was Benedictine uh, school. So 2003, finish and then come back to um, to Madison. I was a parochial vicar at St. Dennis Parish on the east side of Madison uh, for two years and then um, was named pastor of Ridgeway and Barneveld. So it's now St. Bernadette Parish. Um, before it was St. Bridget and Immaculate Conception uh, Parish. So that was, I was there for three years. And then I came back to Rome for the second time mm-hmm. uh, for studies, and that was 2008, and was here until December of 2012. And so that time I was doing uh, studies in canon law, so church law. Not How did that law. work? Was that something that you were like, hey, I think this would be interested and interesting and you talk to the bishop? Or was that something that was asked of you? Asked uh, of you? That was where the bishop, Bishop Morlino, talked to me to, uh, to mm. ask me to do that. And uh, as I say, it was a moment of what we call actual grace, like, you know, God entering in at a particular moment and giving you strength to do something. Because I said yes at that moment. So mm-hmm. if I would have thought about it more, I may have given a different answer. But in any case, I had that actual grace and I said yes. Um, so because I was very happy in uh, being a pastor and really loved my time there in, in Ridgeway and Barneveld, uh, but then kind of stepped back. So, you know, being a student priest is kind of a different way of being a priest. You know, you usually mm-hmm. think of priests in a parish setting, uh, but here I was doing um, work in um you know, back in, in school, so to speak. So it was, it was a different mm-hmm. uh, kind of a real shifting of gears. Um, but that process uh, took three years to get what we call the licentiate uh, in canon law. And then I did another year and a half and completed my doctorate uh, in December of 2012. And that was at the University of the Holy Cross, Santa Croce, which is run by Opus Dei. Um, mm. So did my canonical studies there. Then I came back to Madison uh, starting January of 2013, I began in the tribunal uh, for the diocese as the judicial vicar and held that post for five years. And then also came in uh, in 2015 to be pastor of uh, St. Peter's in Ashton and St. Martin's in Martinsville. So just kind of off, off the west side of Madison and was there for three years as well. And then third time's the charm. Here I am back in Rome. Uh, 2018 came back in March, actually end of February started March 2018 at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and have been there um, ever since. So that's a little bit about my my history, where I'm from and what I'm doing and what my background is. Yeah, what's what's the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and, you know, why are you working there? Like, what are you doing? Excellent, uh, excellent question. So the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is uh, one of many, uh, you can say, offices or or, uh, bodies within something called the Roman Curia. The Roman Curia is basically those offices that assist the Pope in the governance or the running of the Catholic Church. 
Um, obviously, you know, there are things at a local level, the bishop, the local priests, local uh, lay people collaborate, work uh, there. But also there's kind of the, the universal nature of, of the Catholic Church. And so mm-hmm. uh, to deal with that, you know, the Pope has the Roman Curia. And yeah, like, like the home office. Kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you could say that. Although, I mean, obviously, uh, all the work that goes on in the dioceses or various religious orders, that's all super important as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Roman Curia kind of addresses maybe some of the bigger issues or things that are, um, you know, maybe a little more uh, sensitive. And so uh, that's why it, the Roman Curia has these different offices um, to, to assist the Pope, right? Like really, that's our job is we're, we're here to help the Pope in mm. different areas. So the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith uh, was not originally called that. We are the oldest continuous uh, office within the Roman Curia. So it was started really in the 1540s, um, and it, it had the name of the Supreme Sacred Congregation of the Roman and Universal Inquisition. So th- when you hear about the Inquisition, <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of where that comes from. Although yeah. um, the Inquisition actually dates back further, but this was, mm-hmm. as, as it said, the Roman and Universal Inquisition because what what is the Inquisition? Well, Inquisition, it means that you're, you're – you're seeking or you're looking into specific matters and, and particularly matters of the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you can go back you think of someone like St. Dominic, St. Dominic in the early 1200s and the, the early Dominicans, they were um, battling a heresy. Uh, earlier, Carolyn was wanting me to, to list off heresies. Well, one was <laughs> um, this, uh, this, um, heresy of Catharism and basically like the early Manichaeans. Okay. So the time of St. Augustine in a sense, um, downplaying or, or negating the importance of creation matter, right. Trying to have a spiritual outlook, but then because of that overly spiritual outlook, forgetting some very important pieces about, um, about, you know, being uh, souls that and in, in that are in, incorporated in in a body, right? So anyway, I don't want to go into all this uh, kind of. Uh, Is there going to be a test later? Should I be? Uh, no, there won't be a test. Yeah, I don't want to fail either. But so you know, local bishops or or areas are trying to deal with these challenges to the faith. Right. And so they would set up maybe local inquisitions or even national ones. So the, the, uh, you think of Monty Python, the, the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects yeah, a Spanish yeah. Inquisition. But yeah. um, this, this is something that's more kind of localized. But in, in the 1540s, if we think kind of historically, we're, we're dealing with the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Church's um, trying to respond to the challenges of, of those reformers, uh, Luther, um, Henry VIII, uh, Zwingli, Calvin, right? So we've got all of these kind of challenges to the Catholic faith going on 
at this time. And so to have this universal inquisition, it, it's meant to deal with or work with protecting the Catholic faith. And so that's really one of the main uh, things that, that was there at the beginning of its formation and continues even to today, although there's maybe a little change of emphasis in what we do. Um, but in addition to kind of protecting doctrine and, you know, the, um, the, the, the series of beliefs that we hold as Catholics, um, there's also a moral component, right? Because our thoughts and our uh, beliefs translate into actions. So there's a moral component that was also there very uh, much at the beginning of the the sacred, the supreme sacred congregation of the Roman and Universal Inquisition. Um, so, in terms of protecting morality, um, so crimes like simony, which would be the selling of uh, holy things for money, or um, certain uh, sins or or crimes in the area of sexual morality, um, prostitution. Right. So it, it's strange. Why is the church dealing with that? We also have to remember that the pope was a temporal ruler. Right. He ruled central Italy. And so there's also kind of um, things that are not only about the faith, but then there's also practical um, applications for for running that. So at the very beginning, also, there's a, this kind of component of of watching over morality. Now, sometimes not only with the inquisition of the past in, in local places where, you know, you hear about um, kind of torture or these kinds of um, things yeah, that are going on. The history channel says like, you know, tons of torture and 320,000 or so were estimated uh, executed. Yeah. I don't know about, I mean, I haven't studied the numbers, but obviously, yeah. you know, there were excesses. Um, enjoy a little bit of beer there. Um, so there were excesses, but, um, and, and even with the, the congregation in Rome, there was a great reaction to that because mm -hmm. right now our um, offices are right next to the Vatican, but before they were across the Tiber uh, River, uh, closer to what would be like the Piazza del Popolo, uh, kind of on the northern end of, of Rome, the, the center of Rome, but actually the people of Rome went and burned the, the congregation down, uh, the people of Rome, that is. So um, we had to move closer to the Vatican. Um, and in fact, Pope Pius... This, this wasn't there. recently, right? No, no, this was in the 1560s. <laughs> okay. um, so, so no, no, no fires. Recently in terms of the history of Rome, perhaps. But well, not yes, recently I mean, for us. Uh, we're, we're not talking about, you know... 750 BC or, or whenever mm -hmm. the founding of Rome was, but um, so um, be, because of those excesses, right? I was trying to get a, a better sense, but also make it closer to the to the Vatican. Pope Pius V, uh, Pope, the end of the 1560s, early 1570s, very important in the history of the Church. He promulgated the the Catechism of Trent, um, the the Missal of Trent. So if you hear about the Tridentine Mass, he would have promulgated that. Um, 
Missal for the liturgy. Um, so very important Pope, but he's really, he was also a, an inquisitor. He worked at the office of the inquisition. The Pope at the time was the head and that lasted up until Pope Paul VI in the 1960s. The Pope was the head of the congregation. That's why it was called Supreme because the Pope was, was in charge. So um, that's why it was called the S Supreme Sacred Congregation. And sometimes it was just referred to as La Suprema. That was the CDF, or um, we'll get to what it was called later. But in, in any case... Or like so, The Supreme. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's that all you need to say. Was that like a Motown vibe going on? The Supremes. I'm making a Supremes reference. Not quite the same. It's exactly the same, but different. So, but I'm going to make a musical now. Ryan and I are going to write a musical. Exactly the same, yeah. but different. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, on the origin in Italy, that's how we ended up with, you know, that new flavor of pizza that added on from <laughs> pepperoni and cheese. And right. Like, supreme sacred, that would be like, the, like <laughs> the, um, you know, super supreme. Probably yeah, yeah. in any case, uh, yeah. but uh, Pope Pius V, he, he actually stopped construction of St. Peter's Basilica because um, the one you see now is actually the second St. Peter's. So he stopped construction there and had the, the workers finish our palazzo where our offices are. So our, our offices date back to the 1570s. He's like, let's get that Inquisition back up. We got, we got to get that going again. <laughs> let's get that back online. Uh, yeah, the the heresies still were were in 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 vogue uh, in the day. Aren't so, they always? In fact, um, so uh, anyway, you know the the history kind of goes on, and 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 it had that that kind of that doctrinal and the moral aspects. Um, there were a number of other things that the congregation. Um, did uh, in terms of, you know, looking at, at saints, um, looking at, uh, it was not directly under the, the Inquisition, but you may have heard of something of the, the Index of Forbidden Books, um, if you have ever heard of that. So basically, these were books that were deemed to be containing um, heretical opinions or dangerous opinions for Catholic faith. But because it was dealing with the faith, it was kind of linked with the work of the the Inquisition. Although, like uh, like Harry Potter, I think Harry Potter's on that. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I'm I, don't, I don't think <laughs> Harry Potter's too recent; it didn't quite make it. Oh, okay, from from the way some people talk, it's on the index. That is true. Some people do speak of it in that those terms. But um, so moving up. Uh, say 400 years or so, we come to St. Pius X. So we've gone from St. Pius V to St. Pius X. So early 1900s, he changes the name of, uh, of the Inquisition to the Holy Office, Santuficio. So that's another name that sometimes is used. Uh, the Inquisition, uh, La Suprema, the Holy Office. Um, and the Holy Office, again, kept those same kind of um, same kind of duties. With Pope Paul VI, um, things change a bit. So he's no longer in charge. So after the Second Vatican Council, ending in 1965, he kind of renounces 
being the in charge or the head of that, and then names a, a separate prefect. So this is kind of the reorganization of the Roman Curia after the Second Vatican Council. So there are these prefects, uh, only partially joking. I like that. <laughs> to some um, people who join in now. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and, and also there's a little bit of a shift in emphasis, right? Because as I said, initially we're protecting the doctrines of the faith. But Paul VI wanted to also not only protect that, but to promote the faith. So it kind of takes on a, maybe a more positive connotation or um, focus to say, you know, we're going to also want to promote the authentic faith of the church. So, so that's a, kind of a shift that goes on um, with Pope Paul VI. And so that's kind of what we've inherited today. And St. John Paul II um, had uh, the, the document called Pastor Bonus, which came out in, I believe, 1988. And that kind of gives the structure for the Roman Curia as we know it today. Now, there's a lot of discussion that Pope Francis wants to also um, make changes to that structure and whatever. And so uh, we're, we're kind of waiting. It, it was said that it would come out soon, and we're still waiting yet because I think there was just kind of some rethinking or wanting to kind of tighten that um, up a little bit. But in any case, um, that's what we're currently governed by is, is this Roman Curia document that came out in 1988. The, and the, latest, uh, the latest iteration is a lot, it's like the guidance on dealing with toddlers. Like instead of just saying, stop it, stop doing that, don't hit your sister, you need to guide that. Well, what should I be doing? What exactly. Should I that's be doing? right. It's, <laughs> Genius. It's, it's kind of that. Now yeah. I work, so there are, there are different, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there, there are, there are um, kind of different sections of the, the CDF. So when I say CDF, that's short for Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, but there are different sections. So there's still the doctrinal section, which deals with, with questions of doctrine. So like if, if people, uh, especially maybe professors or authors are writing books that may be somewhat questionable or or whatever they they start this dialogue with them to say is this a, the authentic faith um is is this teaching or this publication um still uh faithful to what what we believe as catholics um there's also kind of a lot of consultation that goes on. So if bishops have questions, they can write to us about matters of the faith. Or if there are other bodies or groups within the Roman Curia who want, um, you know, who need consultation or, you know, they're preparing a document but want to kind of get an idea. As, are we being faithful? Are we, are we on the right path? Then the doctrinal section will um, give a, an opinion or look into that. Um, I'm in what we call the disciplinary section. So sounds I'm gonna less have, fun. I'm going to have a drink before I talk about that one. Um, well, that depends on your perspective, Carolyn. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Are you like and, an old school inquisitor, and it's fun yeah. to you, or like a new school inquisitor, and you're trying to guide? It's less fun. But no, I hope I hope that's yeah. I hope that's clear. Like you know, you think of the Inquisition, and that's part of what I want to do with this too is just help clear up. Uh, misconceptions and misunderstandings, you know, of the past and, and right now as well. Like, 
your job is not kicking down doors and pulling people out by their ears and, and saying, listen here, but, um, you know, promoting the true faith. Yeah. Right. Well, so it's, it's, say, the, there's also like, I mean, man, I, I can't, I can't imagine the, the weight that must be on your shoulders or the shoulders of, of the people in the organization, because at, I think at surface level, people who, I don't know, just don't have the perspective, you know, see this as like, oh, they're like, you know, these, yeah, rule, like, uh, people who are like disciplining and all the rules and all that stuff. And it sounds very like, I don't know, it doesn't, it, that's why people that's have negative harsh. connotations about it. But the importance can't be overstated because a lot of people will just use people they know in their life to point to, to be like, well, I know, I know one Catholic who's doing X, Y, and Z, or I, I, my priest said this and they're Catholic. So yeah, so then it's good. But like, not all those things are true. And it's a huge responsibility (laughs) that you, that you have to like. Right. And you know, that, that's why, um, I mean, I think it is important to to recognize that even at the local level, especially the bishops have kind of a, a primary responsibility because obviously, you know, we're, let's say, maybe 60 of us total in the entire office. And that includes all these different sections and including our archives, which the archives are extremely important because they go back to the 1540s and have all of this um, correspondence, all of these uh, opinions. Um, You know, one of the other things that we do is we, um, you know, there's a, there's a a congregation called the congregation for the causes of the saints, right? So um, when someone is, is being presented to say, well, they have these virtues and, um, you know, in this, there's a whole process for canonization, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, they've written a lot of things. Well, then you have to make sure that what they were writing also is in conformity with the faith because it would be hard to, hard to say, well, we, we know that this person is in heaven if they've said these, you know, things that were very, um, against against the catholic faith so we you know but the part of that's there in the archives and all of that also i want to i want to point out you said there's 60 of you in in your office or so and and that that includes you know everyone from our our porter the one who kind of you know checks people in or or you know lets people into the building and then the um we have people called ushieri the ushers which basically again they they assist people who would come to the office or, um, you know, kind of take things around to the superiors or, or do those things. So it includes even, even sure. those, uh, workers, yeah. uh, we have, so there's like 60 of you, uh, responsible for taking care of, uh, 1.3 ish billion Catholics and, and the and, heresies. <laughs> right. Well, so like the doctrinal section might have 10 officials in it. <laughs> 
How are we, you? How are you traveling around and torturing and executing people? <laughs> See, we don't. We, we can do it. We, just, we can do it. Um, in, so in the disciplinary section where I work, um, we have probably is, we're the biggest section currently. So we have maybe about eighteen or nineteen officials in our section. So we're all canonists, and. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at kind of some of those moral pieces, right? So obviously, and, and we're looking at the most serious ones. So we look at um, schism and heresy and apostasy because the church does have penalties for those, um, which is to be excommunicated, right? So meaning you can't receive the sacraments, you, you might be um, removed from your office if you have a particular job or position. Um, but excommunication is not a forever thing. It's, it's there. And if, if someone changes, if someone repents, has a conversion, then that excommunication goes away. But it's there as a sign. And you even see this in the scriptures with St. Paul. Um, you know, he, he allows this so that people can come back. Um, so, you know, we do have penalties, so to speak. It's, it's not physical penalties, but spiritual penalties. Um, and then other penalties as well. So um, we deal with the schism, heresy, and apostasy, but then we also deal with um, offenses against the sacraments. So like desecration of the Holy Eucharist for us as Catholics, that would be one of the most serious things. And then that carries with it penalties or the sacrament of confession. Um, if someone, if a priest breaks the seal and tells someone what he hears in confession, and that's reported to us, then that falls under our um, jurisdiction. Or if there's, um, unfortunately, you know, maybe in confession, a priest approaches someone in a, in a sexual way or asks for some kind of uh, sexual encounter because that's number one inappropriate for the life of a priest, but also it affects the, the dignity of that sacrament where it's supposed to be for mercy and conversion and, and changing your life. When, when a priest would use that in that fashion, it's so serious that the, the CDF says we need to reserve that to ourselves because that's harming the, the person obviously who, who gets propositioned there, but also it harms the sacrament. It harms our faith because people should, you know, um, be able to trust the sacraments as a place of encounter with God. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, there's also um, something that, that came in a bit more recently, but um, it, because the Catholic Church believes that that ordination is reserved to men, if if there are women who would attempt to be ordained, that also is reserved to us. And then also, if if anyone, if a bishop would attempt to ordain a woman, then that also falls under us. And then, I guess what is most maybe well known or um, most kind of in the news is that we address the church's response to the sexual abuse of minors by clerics, um, right? And so 
obviously the civil law, the, the civil authorities, they're going to um, maybe, you know, arrest, imprison, uh, whatever priests who would be a, 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 um, found guilty of these things. But also the church has its own process and can have different penalties like being removed from the office or kind of the most serious penalty is that if priest is found guilty, he could be dismissed from the clerical state um, and no longer exercise priestly ministry. So the church needs to respond to that. And again, this is kind of a, a recent shift in, in approach, but it used to be that we understand this as a violation of the dignity of, of the priesthood because a priest should not be doing that. And, and, but now, and there's a new kind of section of canon law dealing with um, penalties in, in the church that's going to be, that the Pope just promulgated and will take effect on the 12th of, or the 8th of December of this year. Um, but the shift there is that it's, it's not only uh, an offense against the priesthood, it's really an offense against the dignity of that minor who, who mm. was abused. And so it's, it's a little change of perspective. They're, they obviously go hand in hand, but um, that's how it's treated in this new um, uh, penal law for the church that's coming into effect on the 8th of December. And then, um, yeah, so because these are such serious things, that's why the church wants at the highest level to have an o a level of oversight. Mm -hmm. so we don't always do judge the cases at our level. We're often more of a, an appeal level or uh, for recourse, but most of the decisions are made in a local diocese. Mm -hmm. um, but we still have to give permission for that, and we have to kind of have that oversight of the whole process, given the seriousness of, of these um, mm -hmm. situations. Right. So you're not you're not trolling on Facebook. And, and if uh, Carolyn says something, you're not like, Carolyn, you can't Maybe say that. that. I mean, you will because we're friends. But <laughs> but that's not what what you guys do. That, no. that would not be serious. Likely, likely not, you know, the serious type of her heresy or issue that you're talking about. No. And and, you know, normally, especially for the doctrinal question about heresy, you know, it's it's really a lot of like books or more um, kind of, um, shall we say, uh, official course or, syllabi or something like yeah, that. Sure. Or substantial content. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, the Internet is a big place and a lot of things are said. And <laughs> it's a big a pile lot of, of them crap. Are wrong, but we, we don't go after that. But, yeah. um, you know, if, if certain things are maybe reported to us, um, from a lot of different ways we may we may need to look into it but oftentimes we're, we're looking specifically maybe at, at those more kind of um if, if we want to say seminal points where things can start going off the rails mm -hmm. um, like so if, if you're if you're looking at a someone who's who's teaching future priests in a seminary or in a catholic university where it's it's problematic that's what we're going to maybe look at a bit more um, seriously because like, again, yeah, everything's out there on the internet and we, we won't reach the end of it. So mm -hmm. I have a question. So, you know, thinking about you've been doing this 
for three and a half years Mm -hmm. and you're dealing with some of the uh, most painful and most uh, scandalous things that happen in the life of the church, how has this affected your perspective of your priesthood? That's a great question. Um, so when I read the cases, I am saddened. Sometimes I'm very angry. Um, and um, you you see this, the sadness comes not only because of of the harm that people have suffered. Sometimes the sadness comes because sometimes the allegations are made, but maybe, maybe false or, you know, because they happened so long ago, they're not maybe um, able to be proven. So you, you kind of have people in limbo. So that's kind of a sad uh, reality. But I think for me personally, as a priest, I mean, number one, reminds me and calls me to be holy and strive for that holiness myself. I mean, I, I need to strive to be holy. And obviously that's God's grace. He's the first one to, to help us on that holiness. But it's a reminder of, of my call to be holy. And then it's also um, a reminder of, of the gift of of the priesthood. So as a priest, I really sense it as a gift and, and to see the sadness of, of a priest who will lose that because of what he's chosen or done. Um, it's, it's a, mm, I want to say maybe a healthy kind of, uh, fear that, you know, but for that grace of God, I don't want to be in that position. Right. So it's, it's a sense of, trying to be holy in a sense of trying to value this gift of the priesthood that I've received um, and, and to, to try to live that out. I mean, I think, you know, the, um, the work itself is, is difficult. There's a lot, unfortunately. Um, It's a lot. Um, piles of, of stuff that come in a lot of it are, you wrote are the diagram do you remember the diagram of your office so it, when i went to rome it was like two months after father tate arrived and we were having coffee there's a little coffee shop right up the way and he's like well here's my office and so he's drawing this diagram he's like this is my desk and this is my bookshelf and this is a pile of cases and here's another pile of cases and this is another pile of cases and this pile is threatening to fall over on top of me and i was like Mm. Oh no. Wow. Okay. That sounds super fun. So glad you're here. Maybe you could just leave. Maybe we should just like bring you back. Do a rescue mission. Uh, yeah. No, thankfully none of the piles have fallen over on me. Um, Cause there's no well. OSHA in, in Italy. So like what would happen if you were injured on the job? <laughs> I know. And I, and I didn't sign up for that workman's comp insurance that the Vatican offers. So I, I would be out of luck, but uh we would come, we would rescue you. Don't worry. We'll send a SEAL team in to extract <laughs> you. It'll be great. Um, you know, like I said, though it's a lot, I do sense that it's very important 
work. So, I mean, in, in that sense, I, I have the kind of inner strength to continue on with kind of looking at a lot of things that are super unpleasant. Um, because I know it's, it's, the church does need to respond to this. The church does need to, you know, if, if someone is falsely accused to say, we don't believe that this happened, or if someone is, is accurately accused and they're guilty, they need to be justly punished. And, you know, um, that's, that's important for the church to do. So, yeah. What, um, what does that look like? And also I love, I don't know if anybody, um, watching, if you don't know father Tate, um, or haven't played a board game with him or hung out with him, he's, he is a very sweet man. Uh, he can definitely play his games and we always joke, uh, like board games. We always joke too, when we make a mistake or if we accidentally cheat in a way that might have helped us, we'll be like, father Tate would not be okay with that. But I you're in a good you're in like a good role. Ago, it was like, oh, Father Tate is probably like waking from a, a nightmare right now. He's wondering <laughs> yeah, what, what is that? wrong with the world because <laughs> we had accidentally cheated in the game, and it was like, oh, Father Tate's gonna be so displeased. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned you're you're in the office of discipline, I believe. Yes, and I, I just love that because I feel like I I have anger issues, and I try to you know work through those, and I have kids, and that's that's where they come out. You know, I get very angry. <laughs> Uh, and so when I think of discipline, I think of anger, but I, you know, incorrectly, but I, I really appreciate that, you know, someone like you, again, someone who I think is, is a very kind person is in the office of discipline. So what does, what does that look like in what you do? Right. So, you know, um, there are a lot of, there are kind of a lot of different ways that, that cases are, are dealt with, um, they could, there could be a whole judicial trial in the church. Uh, there could be a kind of a more streamlined process called a, an administrative process. If, if something is too old, we, the church kind of has also like a statute of limitations. So a lot of, you know, the civil law or jurisdiction has a statute of limitations. Um, so, you know, they uh, wouldn't maybe treat a case if it happened, you know, a certain amount of years ago because it's, it's just difficult to prove. So the church also understands that. And sometimes, um, sometimes we can, you know, uh, derogate or, or give a, um, you know, a sense that we can go back and look at those old cases, but often we don't because it would be hard to prove one way or the other. So, you know, there are a lot of different ways you can treat it, but what, what could be the possible penalties? Well, um, one, you could, um, I mean, I like to say the, the worst one is, is to be dismissed from the, the priesthood, the clerical state. Um, but also there can be, um, real quick. What is, what does that mean? You, they don't, um, unbecome a priest, but what, right. What so exactly that, happens? that's, it's, it's a unique thing because sacramentally we believe that once you're ordained a priest, you're a priest forever. Right. So there's there's a indelible mark on your soul, which says you are a priest. However, that that sacramental character that you have, the sacramental identity often needs a kind of approval to 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 direct it or focus it in a certain way. 
like a priest needs to have faculties to hear confession or, um, you know, there are a lot of different things to celebrate a wedding, to, to officiate at a wedding, the priest needs special permissions or whatever. So you're going to lose all of those. Um, you, 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 you don't, you could never officiate at a wedding. You can never preach. You, you can't, you don't celebrate the mass again, which I mean, obviously that for the priest is the biggest thing. Now it's interesting that the priest who is dismissed from the clerical state could hear a confession in if someone is dying because the church says hmm. that's so important. We want this person to be right with God when they meet him at his death or her death that even that priest who was dismissed could hear a confession in that moment, even though normally they never could hear a confession. Uh, but yeah, so that's what that means. And then you, you cannot dress as a priest. Um, you, you, you don't have, you, you would still be bound to celibacy, but often that's dispensed at the same time. Right. So oh, wow. priests, when we're ordained, we even as ordained a, de a deacon, we, we promise to be celibate. Mm -hmm. Now, that would remain unless there's a special um, dispensation given. Those are often given together. When you dismiss someone, they could be uh, also dispensed from celibacy. Wow. But like if, if there's a judicial case that goes on, the priest could be dismissed but not dispensed from celibacy. And mm -hmm. he would have to ask for that if he wants. So, um so that's what that means when you're dismissed from the clerical state. So all of the things you think of a priest, like I've got my collar on, right. you know, I can't do mass, can't do wedding, can't do baptism. Uh, you know, none, none of those normal things that I, I, I can't anoint, except again, if those there's maybe that danger of death. So um, it's really limits completely what you can do. Mm -hmm. Then other ways though, you know, if a priest isn't dismissed, they can they can have their ministry limited severely, right? So they may not be able to minister publicly. Um, so they could maybe have a private mass, but they may not be allowed to dress mm -hmm. as a cleric, or they're, they're, they could be asked to live in a specific place to kind of give supervision. Um, I mean, it's not like you've got a, a, a monitor on your leg or anything like the, the, the civil government can do, but it can be a way of saying, you know, the church, well, we, we number, we, we're going to provide for you, but we also want to keep an eye on you to make sure that you don't go back to this behavior from before. Um, with, with this new book of, of canon law that's coming out, there are actually some new penalties that, that were added, um, especially um, financial ones. So you can make them pay a certain sum or you can remove pay. Um, so that, that's a big thing and obviously um, could have a real impact on, on someone. Uh, Lose your TikTok followers. Right. Yeah. That would be an example of also of uh, a prohibition. Like, okay, you could say you can have no social media. Right. As, hmm. as a cleric, because hmm. the priest uh, has to obey the bishop in a sense. And if that's assigned as a penalty or given as a precept, that's a precept is another thing in canon law, which kind of. It's like a it's like a little law for an individual. Right. You can't do this. You have to do this. 
Um, so those things could be imposed in there. Um, you can also give penances, uh, which are which are not technically penalties, but um, you know it could be like you have to pray a rosary for victims of of sexual abuse every Friday for ten years. You know it could be something like that. It's sort um, of like probation and community service. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, right? So sometimes you've, you've heard maybe of a life of prayer and penance. So that was something, you know, especially when, when there's the case is very old and you can't really deal with it. What can the priest do? Well, you can ask him to pray. You can ask him to do penance for either what he did or even for, you know, what others have done that have caused, you know, a lot of harm, a lot of people to leave the church, a lot of people to, um, you know, not uh, not believe or not kind of um, be connected anymore to the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one thing that people misunderstand about um, canon law. So, Ryan, you were talking about Father Tate is a, this very, like, sweet, kind person. I mean, you can teach a game very well because you're not, you don't jump down someone's throat for doing it incorrectly. You might have a preferred way you would do it, and you will let that be known, but you're not going to just automatically slap the hand of someone for doing something incorrectly or actually incorrectly. Um, and I think that's a misconception that people have about the law, whether it's civil law or canon law, which is a little bit easier to speak on because there is this restorative sense that there is a right conduct. There is a way that we ought to behave. And by God's grace, we can do that. You know, we all will err in certain ways, but we can reform ourselves. We can become better. And the law is helping to guide that process, not in a like slap on the wrist kind of way when it needs to be, it can, but it's more meant to bring you closer to God. It's more to right the wrongs of original sin and the ways that we cooperate with uh, sin. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, what are some other kinds of misconceptions that people have about canon law, about like the work that you do, the work that in general you do, not just you particularly? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. The, the church has a very long tradition of having her own law. Um, and why? I mean, you could, number one, you could ask, well, what? What does it matter that the church has its own law? Well, because it's a community and to govern or to guide or to lead a community, you need to have rules, right? You can think of, you know, um, you know, any kind of sporting club or whatever it might be. There are rules because I love what you said there, sporting club <laughs> or games. You're games clearly an rules. athlete. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I'm an athlete. Uh, anyway, um, but you, you know, you, you, you would have, uh, these rules because it's, it's a group, it's a society. So mm -hmm. that that's the church has this long tradition, but I think one thing, and, and this is a challenge, you know, and, and I think you see this, you know, in, in the world of politics and, and legislation in kind of the civil world, laws are, are being used in different ways to, to get, a certain end or goal, as opposed to what ideally the church is, is doing with her law. It's, it's not to arrive at a goal. It's to arrive at truth and justice. And obviously that is, um, 
I think because people have the sense of law is it's coercive and it's it's a it's a tool to get to my goal, mm. right? I'm going to make this law so that we force everyone to do this. Mm -hmm. The church is certainly law, it can can be that as we see you know in our country these days. <laughs> absolutely, um, and 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 obviously even in the church that sometimes is there. But but mm -hmm. but the real goal behind it is is to look at the truth and and justice based on our belief, you know, all of our beliefs as, as a Catholic Christian, right? So to have that, that focus. So that I think is one kind of misconception or, or maybe what we're, what we're doing. I think mm -hmm. the other time, another maybe issue is there are limits to what the law can do, right? Um, I had a professor in, in my canon law studies, he said, you know, um, canon law is not the only thing in the church and it's not the, maybe it's not the most important thing in the church, but it's a necessary thing in the church. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like your skeleton. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe you don't, um, appreciate it. You need to have it, but it's not the whole thing because mm -hmm. you, need, you need a brain obviously and organs and skin and, and all of these things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a whole complex, but if we, if we either put too much or too little emphasis on what canon law is, then that's where we get problems. And I think we can see kind of in the history of the church where there's a pendulum swing one way or the other, like law becomes too much, you know, and, and then you can get some of those excesses that we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier about with the inquisition mm -hmm. versus not doing anything and that's why we have so much reaction and negative negativity towards kind of the church currently, because there were decades where nothing was done in terms mm -hmm. of the church church's kind of reaction or, or, or response to some of these problems that are mm -hmm. there. Um, so I, I think yeah. those are a couple of things that, you know, in terms of understanding what canon law is, it's, it's important to, to keep in mind. I like that that analogy too, or just that that kind of thematic idea of the pendulum. In that, I, I feel like we see that in all areas of our lives, and it's it's helpful to understand that because John and I have had several experiences in just non-Catholic areas and non-Catholic groups, and it's all it's always about you know tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. But oh my gosh, you're Catholic, uh, don't don't say anything, except. I feel like that, oh my gosh, you're Catholic, don't say anything, is more of a self-imposition, kind of a re uh, response to just kind of cultural sentiment than anybody that we've ever dealt with. Um, and we were on a trip doing uh, tribal, you know, indigenous kind of cultural awareness work. And this collector had a whole room full of all these sacred objects from every faith, including uh the catholic faith you know he had a bunch of relics um he had a bunch of um what was i going to say um crucifixes or uh monsters. Monsters. yeah and john and i are like is that is that jesus in there or is that just old crusty bread uh and i didn't ask but john actually asked him about it you know because like are we there to rescue Jesus from this collector who just doesn't know? 
And well, apparently, yeah, you can tell the story and, a little bit more. I was just thinking the the word because I don't actually know, and the word that probably is better is curator. He calls himself a curator, so mm-hmm. he hasn't sought this or stuff caretaker, out yeah, necessarily. Like people have actually gifted these things to him. Like mm-hmm. world leaders have come to this place, and um, and. And so he is very respectful about it, but it was definitely like a thing that you're like, all right, this is a strange scenario. And I waited till we were, you know, done working with our client and we're on our way out the door. Cause I was also, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're always trying to balance these things. It's like, it's not really my place to like blow up this entire like interview that's set up here. Um, and I just asked, I was like, I'm just wondering if you know, if those are consecrated or whatever. And it's like, Oh, and he actually was surprised. I think that somebody like had some care about some sort of religion. Cause I think he probably encounters so many secular people. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave me a very confusing answer about having some priest friends and a priest in the family. And that, you know, like, uh, Oh, don't worry. Nobody ever touches, touches them. And, you know, priests will actually ask me sometimes if they can borrow them and use them for like adoration and stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm still confused, but what? Um, I'm still not sure how appropriate this. But is. it was just it was yeah, interesting. We'll, we'll like, write a letter, like Ryan was saying about like tolerance and like respect and whatever. We learned a lot about like the sacredness of eagle feathers and eagles and eagle parts and stuff, and the. Uh, how that it's illegal to sell, you know, uh, eagle feathers and whatever, and that they have special uh, permission through federal things to uh, actually participate with the, the Fish and Wildlife Service to protect eagles and then to, like, hold on to and distribute the feathers from, like, eagles that have died or that they've collected, you know, during molting or whatever. Um, but that there's no, there's no trade in it. There's no legal trade in it. And, and then that, you know, you need to be respectful and there's a sacred thing for their population. And I was thinking to myself, like, that's great. That's really cool. And I'll be respectful, but like, it's the same thing, isn't it? Like, what, aren't we getting it back the other direction? Like if it would be a big deal for me to have a bunch of Eagle feathers and just have them up in my house and be like, look at these, aren't these cool? I just got them somewhere. Then, you know, do you see what you're doing with like having all these other religious artifacts? Like, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting curiosity. Like some people are just curious and they like collecting things or they think something looks cool. They, they there's an ignorance and not in a pejorative way. There's just yeah. a lack of understanding about the thing and the meaning of the thing. And I think most people are respectful if you say, hey, actually, this thing means this. Mm-hmm. They are appreciative of knowing more about that area, that topic, that faith, whatever it is. And then I think, you know, like the curator that you were talking about, I mean, you probably didn't have a lot of time to broach the topic either. So it probably wasn't the mm-hmm. ideal situation. But I would like to think that a guy like that is probably trying to be very respectful. And that if right. he knew what these things meant, then there would be a difference in how he 
presents them or takes care of them or if he should even have them or not. I hope know? I seeded the idea at least. And if he true, if he was being honest with me and he does have, you know, priest friends or family and those priests aren't ones that are cases showing up on Father Tate's desk, then uh, I would hope that just seeding the idea of like, because I was just like, yeah, I just wanted to ask because like if they are consecrated, like, they, you know, I'm sure that there's a church around here or if not, like I know priests that would that would take them. So just wanted to just wanted to ask. And, and he's like, well, yeah, thank thanks for your concern. Yeah, it's, I'm glad that, you know, you guys care or whatever. And then he kind of left it there. Right. And, yeah. you know, in terms in terms of our work at the congregation and, you know, our doctrine, our belief, it is it is important. It is it is sacred. That that's why that's why we have a, an organization like the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith because what we believe is important, right? And and it has an effect. And so I, I think that you know whether it's you know th- those physical objects, but also our our beliefs, what we teach, what we share, what we uh, right, right. All of those things also can have either a very positive effect or a negative effect, and so that's why I think the 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 work of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is 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 vital and um, it's important. I mean, I, I for those who don't know, we have a great website actually on the Vatican uh, oh. website. If you go, you can like it down at the bottom. They have kind of um, a place where you can click on the different Roman Curia uh, offices. And then if you go to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, we have all of our documents there, uh, which are the doctrinal things, but also some of those disciplinary things that, that we deal with. It's it's very useful, very helpful. Um, you know, like most recently, uh, and, and this was one of the um, little uh, catch lines that you had, it was COVID. Um, we you know, we have the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith came out with a statement about vaccinations and the morality of them and, and you know, respect for conscience, but, but also weighing, you know, kind of a global health pandemic. So, I mean, it was a very, I think, balanced and good document. So anyway, this, that has all kinds of things. You can go and look and, and see some of the work of the, uh, and I see the link there. That's great. You're very tech savvy. I'm on it. I'll put it in chat too. It's. I mean, this website is great. Everyone's going to want to go to it. Uh, why not? <laughs> um, so, but um, in any case, um, uh, the um, just to talk a little bit about COVID. It was a weird experience. Now, Carolyn has been to Rome probably more than I have. Uh, at least in terms of trips, maybe trips. not in total not time spent here, but trips, you're probably close. Uh, but um, in any case, it was really odd to be here, you know, because obviously Italy hit, was hit very hard with, uh, with COVID and the restrictions were very severe, especially last March, uh, March of 2020. Um, and it was, it was a ghost town. And um, it's picked up somewhat in terms of tourists and pilgrims, but but still very um, 
it's down. And uh, but but to see St. Peter's, to see you know the Spanish Steps empty, something I've never seen in my life. So it was it was a really um, kind of eerie experience. And you know you had to have a so I still went into work. Many people didn't go into work at all during this complete lockdown. Um, but you had to always have papers with you. Um, the Carabinieri, which is kind of like a state police force, they could stop you at any moment. Um, they needed to see that paper. They would actually call your work to, you know, double check that you weren't lying. Well, people had zones. You could only be like so far away from your home. <laughs> in normal yeah, it was, it was almost worse than the Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, had, they had fines and they were stiff. But uh, yeah, like if you passed from one comune, which is kind of like your city, if you pass from your city bounds to another, you, you needed to show these papers. They had roadblocks, police <clears throat> stopping. So it was really uh, very, very surreal in, in a sense. Because Rome, you know, all, all roads lead to Rome. And that's a very true statement. Um, and, you know, it, it had so many people, so many pilgrims, but then to see it emptied was, was just a, uh, a surreal thing. We have currently, you know, still a lot of restrictions. They have what they call the green pass, the uh, basically um, proof of vaccination or having had COVID and uh, recovered or having had a, a test within the last 48 hours. So, um, and you need that like even to go out to eat if you're going to eat inside. Um, so it's it's a different environment than at least in in Wisconsin when I was home uh, this last August. Uh, very different kind of environment, um, much more controlled. So yeah, you say the Inquisition. It's 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 a it's a different sort of Inquisition here for your COVID status. Yeah, I I did want you know we're at about one twenty. I want to respect your time and our viewers as well. But I did want to get you know a little bit personal with that. Like what what was that like? You know, I know you know being a priest, um, living alone is something that a lot of priests face because they don't have community where they live with other people. Um, you know, some priests might even be in rural parishes where they don't see their brother priests very frequently. Uh, now, when you go into the office, I'm sure you see a lot and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of more going on. But what was that like for you? You know, like what uh, what was the most difficult for you? Yeah. So I think at the beginning. So it was interesting. So I live this is called the Villa Stritch where I live. You see at least part of my my apartment here. Uh, the Villa Stritch is a house that is owned by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and for American priests who are working for the Vatican. Um, so they were doing some very major renovations. We have two buildings um, with different apartments in them, and I was in the one that was being worked on. And we moved back in the day before Italy completely shut down. So I was happy to be at least back home, but it was very difficult because our people, um, you know, who who came in, um, you know, for our, um, what do I want to say, uh, you know, those who help in the kitchen or whatever, it was, it was very difficult for them. I think 
there was a lot of unknown at the beginning. And, and certainly, you know, you saw, and I'm sure you saw back home too, a lot of these pictures out of, um, you know, um, Northern Italy, uh, that, that area where it, it really hit hard and they had like these army uh, vehicles carrying away the deceased who, who weren't able to be buried. So there was just a lot of um, uncertainty about it. And all of the other uh, seminarians um, who had gone, um, who, who studied here in Rome, they had all been called home. So I was kind of the only Madisonian left mm-hmm. here in Rome. So you felt a little lonely that way and kind of just, well, we don't know what to do. Um, but anyway, going into, um, going into work was always a little bit challenging. Uh, you kind of wondered, well, is it, is it a matter of, um, yeah, is it a matter of um, they, they care about you or they need the work done kind of a question? But I don't were, know, you, were you going into work when the I lockdown happened? Work, uh, I went into work about every other day. And mm. um, so, they yeah, they still let you go into work. They, yeah. So, and, but, but again, you had to have your papers to show. Um, and, you know, at that time, I was the only kind of native English speaking official there. Um, we have a couple of uh, um, priests of Indian descent, one of uh, German descent, who, who can do some um, cases that are in English, but I was the main one at that time. We have since added a, um, a new English official, English-speaking official in, in the disciplinary section, so it helps. But um, in any case, uh, when I was going in, it was mostly because of those language questions and issues um, we needed to have an english speaker in there so so that's why i was considered an essential worker because of english and what what like um yeah what was kind of difficult like did community change do you do you regularly hang out with your brother priests or families or friends you know obviously you're in a completely different country. So if you're interacting with your family back here or friends back here, it's, it's all online anyway, but right. What was, so know, was the, the one blessing I would say is, is to have other priests here at the Villa Stritch. Um, we had kind of that, um, had some of that, uh, group. Um, and we were all kind of going through the same thing at the same time. So in that regard, um, that helped a lot. And also being a priest, I know I know many Catholics felt I can't I can't get to mass, I can't get to confession. You know, we lived in a house of priests, so we have a chapel we can celebrate mass. We had priests we could go to confession. Uh, you know, so in that regard, spiritually, it was um, it was important. I also uh, went. We have a convent of Carmelite sisters that is very close by and I'm one of the chaplains for them. So I was able to at least go there. They kind of wanted to make sure we had a very limited group of, of people who went. And again, it, the Italian government did allow certain religious exemptions for, for that. So, you know, to go uh, even over there, but just, you know, walking five minutes down the road, I made sure I had my, my, um, my papers with me. So 
so in, in that regard, uh, you know, it was at least good. We had a bit of community here. And so that was helpful. Yeah. In that are, time, did oh, you go ever ahead. really go beyond the Holy Office? Like, was that kind of the furthest you went during the real significant quarantine lockdown? Yeah, because you could only go to work, the doctor, or the like the grocery store or pharmacist, or go home. That was it. And you went to St. Peter's, I know, a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, because the, the CDF is right next door, you could go into St. Peter's, which was empty. I mean, and so it's beautiful to see, but it's very awkward, or I meant not awkward, kind of eerie. It's lifeless. Like usually there's a lot of life in yeah. the space and then it's just. To see yeah, the Matthew Pearson was the world without too. any people in it was quite something. And in fact, mm -hmm. you know, you may have seen um, that um, prayer service with Pope Francis out with this empty square. That, that spoke about, you know, volumes to what that, that time was like here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we are kind of coming up on one thirty, but I do want to hear your two truths and a lie, especially because at the beginning, Carolyn aptly, you know, characterized said, Ooh, but father Tate never lies. So how's this going to go? He so this will be, like, be amazing. You can see how it affects him when he has to lie in the context in of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And he can't do it. He can't do it. The yeah, like the, what is what is it that one night werewolf or or whatever? One night yeah, werewolf. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm terrible at that. There's another one. Um, I forget the name of it. It's it's like a sci-fi one. You got to lie all the time. Terrible, terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, here are three stories. Tell me which one is not true. All right, um, and if you're playing along at home, uh, Carolyn, do you have the um, coasters? Here. We just got our new coasters in. So, uh, Father, we'll send you some of those yeah. as well. But if you're playing playing along at home and you uh, post in chat, send us your Laura Zimmerman is here for this. All I, yes, I see that. Uh, we'll I send you that. stuff. But uh, those those coasters would come in, in handy. They look awesome. So um, <laughs> you can send them over with one of, with either Father Powers or Father Wanta who are coming back over. But uh mm -hmm. If not, I'll pick them up at Christmas time. We'll we'll have the the other producer. This producer. Wait, where are you? Sorry, this producer help uh -huh. with that. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's very good at that. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I once ruined Advent by wearing a Packer tie. Ooh. Like I, you ruined Advent in terms of like a liturgical aspect, or like your family. I, I don't want to give too many details. I just want to yeah. say that I ruined. Yeah, it'll, it'll be hard because we'll we'll I figure it out. Okay, okay, okay. Also, I wanted to I wanted to share this real quick. I forgot to do this. I always have to do this because it's so much fun. This feels is a lie. Gotta have there the bumper. Goes. I know, so, so that people know what's going on. Make that, by the way, <laughs> that was that was Maggie. Like. I don't know, months ago, I had her come down here and I was like, record this several times. Nice. <laughs> she was awesome. Um, okay. I have met Pope Benedict three times. Mm. And the last one is my worst uh, flight experience took me three days to get from Rome to Madison. 
See, I feel like that one's definitely true because I know he's had some really severe delays and he's not happy about it, as no one would be, but particularly this pleasing to him. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he needs to get a credit card that has lounge access, but he has refused to date to do so. I am um, not as adept as you are, Miss Averill, about uh, working the credit cards. I try to teach you so many things, and you. I'm are sure she trained you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the the second one's difficult too because you sent two pictures of you and Pope Francis, I believe, but you said you've met Pope Benedict three times, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's tricky because our advertisement today was two pictures of you with uh, Pope Francis. He was still there. So the first time could have been like as, hi Maggie. Yeah, this is two truths and a lie right here. Hi. <laughs> so he was still there when Pope Benedict was elected. So I feel like that could have been a thing because if you were in Rome in that kind of capacity as a student, it's a little bit easier to kind of meet the Pope. Um, and then you went back while he was still the Holy Roman Pontiff. So I feel like that one could also be true. However, just like you guys talk about, it could be a distinction of the quantity of visits with Pope Benedict. Yeah. So that's a good one. And then the first one is you ruined, you say Advent or Lent? Advent. Advent. You ruined Advent with a tie packer tie packer tie that seems like too much like too much of a real story to be a lie because it's it's a very creative lie if it is a lie unless it's somebody you know i don't know your you your family's from wisconsin i believe so packers it's should true. be in the blood yeah, grew up sock city so yeah so it's not like your your family's vikings fans and you are a packer tie no hard to see him in a tie a packers tie like Ooh. it's a little bit um <laughs> it's not very elegant you know it's a little bit like yeah yeah you know also how do you ruin ruin advent with a tie yeah. you're like you know what screw it we're not having christmas <laughs> <laughs> see i wonder if it was like a seminary story like he was in seminary uh. and there was some kind of thing and he showed up in a packers tie and then, like, some superior was annoyed. Annoyed yeah. enough to Laura. say, you ruined Advent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Laura, you should throw your guess in there as well. Mm -hmm. She could made be. one comment. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that means exactly. It could be at least. The number though. of times Pope he met Pope Benedict. Oh, maybe. sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. not a lie, but also not fully true. That's a good call. Yeah. Like I want to, I want to believe that the first one is true because I want to know how he ruined Advent. Yeah, yeah. So Laura said, "I'm going to say Pope Benedict met him at least three times." I could see that being true. Like he has met him, you know, four times. Yeah, it's probably like a fanboy experience. <laughs> <laughs> I was this close. I was that close to meeting Pope Benedict and the canon of the church of the of. Um, St. Mary Major, Basilica, he's like, well, just follow in after us. Just come on in and you can meet Pope Benedict. And I was so excited. And then he didn't think about, oh, you're not like one of us. They're not going to let you through. Like you uh, are not. Like, you're not a cleric. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so then he was very apologetic that he didn't think about that in advance. And I was like, it's okay. It's not okay. You probably had a skirt on though, which they would have let you through with, right? Because you have to wear a skirt to go in. No shorts. That, no yeah. Shorts, I mean, no slacks. that's in like a very formal capacity if you're like the queen of England meeting the Pope. I was a 22-year-old tourist who <laughs> was sitting on the front steps of Mary Major. They probably wouldn't have let you in if you just threw a collar on either. I am a lady Pope, though. Pie high, I die. Well, you know, late being a lady Pope, this. That's, that's one of our reserved delicts, Carolyn. Which is why I love bringing it up to you, because it is your bread and butter. Reserve delix is that like something that we get to waterboard people for? No, no. Remember, we we were not doing that at the Inquisition these days. So. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Also, I was listening. There's a great one podcast. Bay of the Vatican. Like, what is? This? There's a great. Just just to characterize it a little bit more uh, for some historical accuracy, um, Inquisition was also just kind of a term for. Uh, the the lo legal body that would punish people who do wrong things, and so like each government had their own, you know, local and, and uh, national inquisitions. And this is on a podcast with uh, Trent Horn and I forget the guy from Catholic a Answers. They're talking about the historicity of it, and apparently people would speak heresy so that they would go to the Catholic Inquisition as as opposed to uh, the actual, I think it was like Spanish government, uh, their inquisition, because it was more humane. So that's that's something to think about and look up. And, you know, I'm sure there was excess, like Father said, and the pendulum swings. However, you know, you, you look at that and there's just more information to the story than... Uh, Monty Python. Is it like what, what are you going to say, Carolyn? Thing? So like if I... Yeah. You know, as a lady pope, if I continue to claim my status <laughs> as a pious the 11th high school graduate lady pope, do I get like all expenses paid trip to Rome so that I can be like tried? And you no. get to hang out with Father yeah. Kate? That'd be they, amazing. They're, just, they're doing the heresies to get the free trip so that they can like go visit their family in Rome. I mean, don't go that far. Like we don't get the <laughs> presumption. You don't want to like sin knowing you can go to confession and get it forgiven. But like a step yeah, below that. Work. Yeah. Uh, penal pattern. laws need to be interpreted strictly. So since you've not been or attempted ordination, Carolyn, even yeah. though you may call yourself a lady pope. To get a uh, rise out of you. That's just, yeah. yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's the distinction. That's just a self-delusion. It's not a. No, it's not a self-delusion. It's an actual thing. The pious the 11th popes were the team. And then. You the women's teams are the lady popes. Force, and instead of changing the name, they just went with lady in front of. Yeah. The name. Yeah. It just so happened that Pius was the Pope's and it became a little awkward since the sixties. Yeah. A lot of things have become awkward since the sixties. But so by nice. the way, you haven't answered which That's one right. or why. I was looking down below Benedict. and and we have a lot of chat I'm coming gonna, up. So I'm just throwing these up real quick. So I'm, gonna I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with the num I'm gonna go with number one. I'm gonna go with the, uh, that I ruined out the tie. If if Laura, if the at, screen starts talking back to you, see a doctor. If you're not good at uh, <laughs> lying, maybe yeah, this is what, maybe somebody else said this to you, or somebody else bad. ruined it, and you were there, or, or you think they ruined it, or it wasn't yeah. a tie. Oh, or, yeah, it could have been Father Eric. That's 
That's my guess. Number They've one. They've been friends for a long time. He, I could see wearing a Packer tie. Let's see. Number one something. is you said you you wore it and ruined it. Number two is you've seen met Pope Benedict three times. Three times. And number three was you regularly waterboard. I forget what number three was. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was uh, I don't, uh, what, what did I say for number three? Hmm. Oh, it took me three days to get home. That was. Oh, my that's right. That's right. I, I think we all are like, yeah, that sounds legit. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a terrible thing. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna guess number one as well. So Carolyn, would you guess? I'm gonna say number one. Number one. I think we're all three number one. I'm not responsible if that's not correct. You all it's, you it's very good reasoning. It's um, very good reasoning. Number one is is true. <laughs> oh <laughs> so how and do how does Carolyn, one ruin you guessed it exactly events? right? I was in seminary, I was in college seminary. And the rector uh, reacted very adversely and said that I had ruined Advent. Because it was not only me, but there were two other seminarians who wore it. And we all sat oh, that's amazing. next to one another. And one of the seminarians had a, let's say, a very, um, he, he thought it was extremely hilarious, which it really wasn't. But anyway, he started laughing and then created a, a scene before Vespers of, of First Advent, and then we were told that I ruined, ad, we, we ruined, ruined Advent. The entire and we ruined Advent. I love that. I love that so much. And, uh, and, and then we would sometimes be able to have a little, uh, a little wine in local parentis that never appeared again because we had ruined Advent. I think maybe he was having either A, a bad day, or B, a power trip. C, both. Not having mostly been there. B, mostly B, but maybe also C. But anyway, uh, no, so that was true. That I was, a, I was a, I believe, a freshman in college seminary that year. So You know, um, I respect that. I, I would have been in total favor because I love chaos. You know this. And I like being a little bit subversive, but like just underneath what's like actually subversive. So we were required to wear a tie for Vespers. And so we did. And we can't yeah. help that this seminary had this weird uh, thing. Number three is also true, which uh, it took me three days and was the worst trip I've ever had. It was US Air, which is no longer in business. Mm. Mm. I needed to fly from... Uh, Rome to Philly, Philly to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh to Madison. The first day, the flight was canceled. We got there and they waited like three hours and they told us, up, oh, the plane is broken, flight is canceled. We had to come back the next day. So that was the first day. Mm. But we had to stay at the airport hotel and get up at like 3.30 in the morning and go to the airport. And then we waited five hours, which then we got on the plane, but they gave me the uh, they double booked my ticket, so they moved mm. me on the plane. We get to Philadelphia two hours late. There's a big snowstorm. I get the last flight to Pittsburgh for the evening, but then I've missed the flight to Madison. So I I call my priest friend's mother, who lives in Pittsburgh. We were traveling together. I said, I'm stuck at the, the airport. Can you pick me up? She said, okay, sure. Well, her because he lived in Pittsburgh, they bumped him off the flight completely, said, I don't care. 
I'm getting home tonight. I've already lost a day. I'm going to rent a car. So he drove, he rented a car and drove from Philly to Pittsburgh, which is six hours in the snow. In the snow. Mm. So he gets back though, about, about one thirty. Well, I got in at 1230. And so he comes in the door and his mom says, <laughs> be quiet, Father Tate's sleeping. Oh my gosh. Says, what is he doing here? Awesome. <laughs> so anyway, they take me back the next day. <laughs> and then they were ready to bump me because they had put me on standby. And I said, no, you're not going to bump me. I, I got, I, I got uh, forceful at that moment. You, you, you very kindly said, I'm very sweet and kind. I was not kind and sweet at that moment. And I said, no, you're going to put me on that flight. So anyway, I got back to Madison on the third day, kind of like the resurrection uh, on the third day. Uh, what is not true I did not meet Pope Benedict three times, but Laura Zimmerman called it. I met him only twice. Mm-hmm. Once, That's a good one. That's a good uh, way to do it. I was not here when he was elected, but it, there were both times when um, I was uh, studying canon law. So once with a big group with the North American College for our 50th anniversary. Uh, of, or uh, Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, no, it was the it was the 150th anniversary of the North American College, 2009. We met with the Pope, but I had I realized this last in 2019 that I have been in Rome for the 140th, 150th, and 160th anniversaries of the North American. That's a sign you got to get out. <laughs> <laughs> one one could make that conclusion, and they would not be wrong. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, sorry I kept you long, but hey. Do I win the coasters because I stumped you all? Uh, yeah. I think. What, what did Laura finally guess? Did she all guess number two? Because she, she reasoned guessed. it. You get this. Yeah, uh, I don't know. No, she kind of wavered a little bit. It seems. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what the final verdict was. She well, her most solid one though was I'm gonna say Pope Benedict Delio. Right, and she got the right. correct reasoning. Could be at least though. See, yeah. not. Not a lie, but also not fully true. And that that was yeah. the only way I could, you know, do the facial thing so you wouldn't tell. I was <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that sounds like just what a human would say. I could do the facial thing so that you do not tell that I'm lying. <laughs> is this a conspiracy theory now? I that Taylor Tate's really a robot? I like Oh, that. yeah. The, the CDF is aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone... Catches wind of this conversation. That's the conclusion. (laughs) Yeah, I hope somebody in your office catches wind of this, and they're like, "What is going on? What are you doing in your free time?" (laughs) On that website, is there like a Yelp sort of system where I can do a review of different officials? Yeah, and like report this. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So we will. We would we would joke about that. How we were gonna like create a dossier of like scandalous things to send <laughs> to his superiors so that he would get sent home early. Like nothing. Ah, yeah, that would actually work. scandalous for the record. Yeah, but they're only they're, they're just things like he doesn't like ketchup or, you know, like yeah. just uh, H- hates marinara. <laughs> he likes eating a cream-based gelato with a fruit-based gelato, which is a cardinal sin for yeah. Italians. So like yeah, but that would not be true though. That but would be a lie. I could have said that on our our two twos and a lie too. Do whatever you want. This is also us reporting things, so it's not you lying; it's us lying. So we can deal with those those consequences. But then uh, there will be disturbance in the force, and I'll be upset because the rules are not. (laughs) You will sense it. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, we will send you lots of coasters and you can pass them out. We're going to send them to Laura as well. Or maybe I could just bring them to send church. Send them to me and I will I'll take care of both of those. That's amazing. I, I, we won't even send them. You're at the office. the office. You have them. <laughs> yeah. right here. So just grab a bunch. You can take care of that. So thanks to everyone for jumping in and hanging out with us today. Special thanks to Father Tate in Rome for taking time to hang out with us. This was awesome. The best part is, you know, it's an hour 45 and I feel like I have so many more questions. And so we're going to have to get you on at least two or three more times to really get awesome. into the meat of things. Um, but will he so make thank it you to so the much for coming on. club like? Well, yeah. that's, that remains to be seen. And you get a smoking jacket at some point Someday. if you get the five timer. So, yeah. Or maybe like um, a ticket to Rome. Maybe that should be the, the prize. Or just a maybe ticket I, to ride. A ticket to Madison should be the prize for me. <laughs> a ticket anywhere in the world. That's that's the five time. So everyone's going to be the, in the four timers club because we're not going to want to pay money to. I'm in the five. This is the fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the six timers club. Um, and thank you, Carolyn, for joining us and uh, as always producing and helping and just being a positive, uh, positive voice in the stream. We had somebody in YouTube shouting about vaccinations, unfortunately. Um, got rid of them. That's not what this is about. We're not about shouting at each other. Um, Unless it's what a else? game and it's for funsies. Oh, yeah, the vaccination game. Uh, no, let's let's go ahead and play that. <laughs> now you put it in my game. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Is there anything that you want to promote, Father? We, we shared that website. Thank I can you. throw that website up again. If people are interested, uh, yeah, that I mean, I think, I think that's a, it, it's a very nice thing. There's actually a little bit of history on there, and yeah, so I, I would just recommend check that out. And the Vatican website actually has a lot of good and important and useful things on it. So, if nothing else, awesome. in your board, you can click on the different popes' pictures, and it gives a little history and. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Check that out. It's also in the chat up above uh, on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, this is also a podcast too. So as I said at the beginning, I'm the uh, Monsignore, or, uh, Monsignore. Monsignore of the podcast. Uh, so check that out. It's, you know, one or two episodes every week. We're, we're putting the episodes from the beginning of COVID up because we just have a backlog we're working through. So we're like 50 episodes behind. It's awesome. You can kind of catch up and be like, oh man, at least it's not 2020 anymore. Um, <laughs> so we have a lot of great discussions there. This will get turned into one as well. It'll probably be in 2022, but check that out. Uh, let's backflip.com slash let's backflip show, or we're on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. We're now on Amazon. We're on all the things. We're there. There's no excuse. Check it out. Um, you'll hear Carolyn on some of those. You'll hear John in most of those. And Father Except Tate when Carolyn's on. Sometime. Except, yeah, not together. Just this time. <laughs> this is a very special time. Um, check that out. Hit subscribe. Do all the things. John or Carolyn, do you guys got anything else for me today? Just anything one else thing. Share? Just one thing. What, what could be happening? Can you come in where I am? I don't know. He, okay, look. No you gave up the ghost. The Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. The Johnny Oh, Inquisition. there it is. <laughs> nice. They are in the same space. I'm, I'm not. Oh, you know what? Just one more thing. 
<laughs> is it gonna bring a child in? What is what's going on? It's here? gonna be it's gonna be like twenty minutes before Ryan gets here for the exactly. <laughs> I know you guys have to wait ten minutes for the joke to pay off. We're just gonna. Pull I got a phone call. I'm gonna have to hang up. So. We're gonna post <laughs> yeah. the Monty Python clip on YouTube and just watch it while Ryan drives. I love it. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks everyone for coming and hanging out. That's what we got. We'll see you next week. Bye.